Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 92 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. Following mixed fortunes with Grin's Bionic Commando and Blue Castle's Dead Rising 2, Capcom decided to hand over another of their classic IPs to a Western developer and see how Ninja Theory would fare at rebooting Devil May Cry. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Darren Foreman. I want to know what love is and I want you to show me. Darren Gargett. Breaking news, Bob, you're fired. And Joshua Garrity. I haven't thought of a clever little joke here, so I'll yeah. just say hello. Me neither. Isn't that well prepared? So this is, I think, the first time we've done this, come back to a series after some time. Obviously, this is a reboot, um, but we did cover at around the time of the release of DMC Devil May Cry. We did a podcast, issue 63 it was, still available on iTunes or the website, uh, recorded in January 2013, uh, Devil May Cry 3, Dante's Awakening, Special Edition. Uh, obviously, it's still available in the HD collection, or I think you can download it separately, on certainly on PSN anyway. Uh, that uh, podcast was just the three of us, I think. Me, Mr. Foreman, and Josh. And uh, generally, you know, we uh, we were in favour of it as a you know technical Japanese-style action game. I think we all... I, I certainly had uh, some misgivings about the, the characterisation and in uh, having played Bayonetta some time before I found it lacking in sort of enjoyability as well but that was more of a a subjective thing I think Um, but yeah I think we agreed it was the best of the series up to that point obviously no competition with Devil May Cry 2 which is widely regarded as a turd Um, I've never played it even though I own it on the HD collection Um, and of course one you know one obviously displayed its roots as a as a Resident Evil game and you know, started off something interesting, but playing it now, it seems quite sort of... Yeah, I mean, four had its fans, but it was more kind of like a, a split down the middle as to whether it was actually a good DMC or not. Yeah, four. Um, obviously, yeah, the game that that is the same game twice sort of thing, <laughs> split in half or whatever. Yeah, um, 
uh, and yeah, I think that there was a, a sort of it, there was the sort of joke that Devil May Cry was the 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 opposite of the old Star Trek movies, which was that the the odd numbered ones were good and the even one even numbered ones weren't so good. Um, so after four, there was a gap of uh, what five years? I can't remember what year DMC four was. I think it was two thousand and eight. Uh, two thousand yeah, eight or two thousand and seven. I was in mm-hmm. Tokyo when it was being released, so. Okay, so yeah, uh, a, a decent gap, certainly not like the same gap as, as they had between rebooting, say, Bionic Commando, um, but a similar size gap to the gap between the first Dead Rising and, this, and the second Dead Rising. Now, um, we, I don't particularly want to, get, want to get bogged down in the other people's reaction to the announcement or the reception or the stuff about the hair. I think that stuff has kind of been done to death. It's kind of boring. Um, we want to talk about the game itself, but we can certainly talk about our histories with... Um, the game, including sort of uh, anticipation towards it. So uh, let's start with Foreman, Darren. Well, I mean, curiously, you're saying to kind of skip by that, but my entire uh, like early time with this game, like looking forward to it and checking out the previews, it was impossible to miss all that, you know? It was just swathes of people going out with flaming torches and holy shit, he doesn't have white hair anymore, we should kill everyone in Ninja Theory. And I was just rooting for this game from the very bottom of my heart, just to be absolutely fucking stunning throughout mm. because I didn't want those kind of people to win, you know? I didn't want them to have any satisfaction at watching this game crash and burn. And I could understand that they might be slightly disappointed with certain ways that the, the you know, certain routes the game was taken, but just the entire manner that they responded to it, just it was sickening, you know? But the thing is, I mean, like, obviously, like, Enslaved was a big game that I really enjoyed, you know? It's a big favourite of mine. And I wanted to see if they could, you know, just like going off of that, I wanted to see what their next game would be like. And obviously, like the Devil May Cry series in the past, I was wondering if they could do it justice. I believe that they could, but they hadn't proven that they had they could pull out a, a great action system alongside all their other strengths. Yeah, that's it. That was the thing I was I was certainly I was going to say because as much as you loved Enslaved, you know, and you you. Um advocated it prosthetized it if that's the word um you know sending people copies and stuff and you know i enjoyed it It was a game i liked uh we we also did a podcast on that um but it certainly wasn't a game and certainly heavenly sword wasn't either that made me think that this was a team who could match up to the the kind of um the the brilliant technical combat of of dmc3 that was the real challenge wasn't it absolutely i mean the thing there is that um while Enslaved didn't need a great combat system, because it wasn't really that kind of game, Heavenly Sword did need that sort of combat system, and it didn't have it. You know, it felt really felt really loose, very yeah. wild, and just didn't have the precision or the enjoyment that I would look for in an action game. So the ju- the jury was out, but yeah, you wanted it to be good partly, partly, uh, presumably partly, not just to, you know, to shove it up other people, but also because... No, that was my primary, primary yeah. concern. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you ought to look at that. Uh, it's, it's not the path to enlightenment, um, but also because you, you know, you admire the developer, and you know, you're a fan of that kind of game. So, you know, the, I suppose it was, it was, you know, like all those three factors. Yeah, I um, mean, absolutely. Jokes aside, it is just that there aren't a lot of action games being made um, for deep and technical, a deep and technical audience. You know. No, that's right. Uh, and later we'll find out whether, in your eyes, they succeeded. Um, now, Mr. Gargett, you weren't on our previous Devil May Cry podcast, so uh, do you have any history with the franchise, and were you sort of anticipating this one? History with the franchise is very 
minimal. You know, I, I've fooled around with various DM, uh, Dev May Cry games in the past. You know, very briefly working in an independent game shop in town, I'd been selling them. You know, Dev May Cry one and two, so I had to sort of know what the game was about to sell it to the customers. So I've, you know, I turned it on, played level one, and it meant that's not for me. Turned it off. Um, I played Dev May Cry three for a few levels when I was working at Mastertronic because it was recommended by people around me saying, "Oh, you mm. got to play Dev May Cry three and I was like, "Okay," and Back then, I just, I don't know what happened, but I just stopped playing it for some reason. I think I got to a boss and it kicked my ass, and I was like, ah, I'll turn it off and never come back to it. It does it. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I was coming to this with very fresh eyes. I had no idea what the stories are all about with these, you know, previous Devil May Cry games. And uh, DMC, Devil May Cry, was the first game in that series that I completed. Yeah, so I'm, yeah but I come at this game more of a fan of Enslaved uh, and Ninja Theory, I guess, uh, rather than a fan of the series. So... Yeah, um, I walked into Blockbuster one time, the game came out a few days after, and I saw it on the shelf for rental, and I was like, do I pick it up? The reviews have been amazing, like, you got really stellar reviews from all the places that I trust and rely on. I was like, yeah, I'll pick it up, I'll rent it. Did you play it beyond completion on normal level? Obviously, we'll talk about this, but it's a game that, you know, kind of asks you to play levels over and over. I tried, um, time ran out on the rental. Uh, I'd got, oh, okay. Yeah, I've done a little yeah. bit, I recently purchased it on PC because uh-huh. I feel like I had to buy that game because it's one of those games where um, I yeah. just I just wanted to have it at all times because I will be going back to it again for uh, further playthroughs. Which uh, which format did you play on first? 360. Okay, uh, Darren, did you buy this on? You played this on more than one format, didn't you? Yeah, I originally bought it on the 360, and then I got a good deal on the PC, very close to launch. Yeah, so I yeah. got that as well. And obviously, you know, 60 frames a second, straight where I wanted it to be. Yeah, PC um, came out about uh, two weeks after the console versions, or something like that. Week that, or ten I'm days. I'm sure it was close to, close to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, for me, uh, it. Well, I did buy it actually. Uh, although I did review it, it wasn't a review copy, um, but I got it cheap on on recommendation of somebody. Might have been you, Josh, or James Carter from this very uh, podcast. Um, one of those game code type sites so it was it was I a mean mere. at the time I bought it for like 16 quid from I think CD yeah. Keys now yeah that's them I think that was it yeah it was uh, I paid like 15 16 pounds or something like that um, crazy bargain um, I bought it pretty much a couple of days after the PC version came out uh, having played the console version demo and being fairly impressed by what I'd seen what they'd managed to do and, and yeah crucially the feel of the of the combat seemed to be it was closer to to what I was after from this sort of game than what I feared, which was a, a kind of dumbed down, more simplistic, basic enslaved style. Uh, and yes, my history with the franchise is that I've started the first one umpteen times and got to various uh, difficulty spikes <laughs> before quitting. Uh, never played the second one and uh, completed the third one only earlier this year. So it was I played I played DMC right off the back of having finished. Devil May Cry 3, Dante's Awakening. That's for context. Uh, And Josh? Despite having played every single game in the series so far, um, I wouldn't really uh, describe myself as a Devil May Cry fan. More that I'm just a really big fan of Devil May Cry 3, and I secretly hope that every Devil May Cry game that I play will uh, recapture that magic. Um, 4 was a disappointment. Um... There were good things about it, but it was kind of mediocre on the whole. And I was kind of worried that, like, 
Devil May Cry 3 was just going to be this one-off thing. Um, but then, you know, Bayonetta came out in 2010, and Bayonetta kind of gave me what I was after from a Devil May Cry game. It kind of felt like the spiritual sequel to uh, Devil May Cry Absolutely. 3. Mm. I was basically left, in a post-Bayonetta world, I was kind of left thinking, is there really a place for Devil May Cry anymore? Because mm. it, it, it's kind of just had its crown taken away from it from... Uh, Hideki Kamiya and his team with Bayonetta mm. and then the uh, remake was announced and it was announced that uh, Ninja Theory are going to uh, be the dev and uh, devs working on it and I was a bit worried at first I have to admit not because of the oh, black hair and all that kind of stuff it was you, you, that, were, the, you were that internet person <laughs> yeah it was more that Ninja Theory's strengths in their other games, like uh, Heavenly Sword and Enslaved, their strengths have has been the writing, the dialogue, the characters. They're really good at that. But I don't can't, I don't necessarily go to Devil May Cry for those things. I go for uh, I go to Devil May Cry because it has this really complex and technical uh, combat system, and I I think Enslaved's combat system's good, but I it's I don't think it compares to the likes of. Uh, Devil May Cry 3 or Bayonetta but then gameplay footage started coming out and they were showing off the like you know transforming environments and stuff like that I was like okay no I think this looks really interesting mm. um it's not it's not quite what I um uh, think of when I think Devil May Cry but this is an interesting place to take the series and as more and more information came out of it uh came out um and uh, the demo came out, which really impressed me. I, was, I began to become uh, really excited about the game. So, yeah, that's it, really. And have you, uh, have you played it beyond the basic completion, gone back to levels, gone for triple S ranks and all that? I have a bit. I haven't yeah. um, dedicated a huge amount of time, but I definitely felt compelled to try and do some of that stuff, mm. yeah. So the producers on the game, Alex Jones, obviously from Cambridge's Ninja Theory, uh, um, and another name, Motohide Ashido, which is probably a very relevant name. Um, he's uh, He's been a producer on uh, Phoenix Wright stuff and um, Onimusha, things like that. Uh, he also uh, obviously had something to do with Grin's Bionic Commando. Um, game. I'm talking about the the one that was just called Bionic Commando and uh, the retail release, not the excellent XBLA rearmed game. Um, and that was uh, I didn't play it, but I gather it was a bit of a disaster. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I tend to finish my games, and that one I drifted off very quickly. Yeah. So I'm trying to think. Um, obviously, Capcom did, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, they did they did that with with Green and Bionic Commando. They did with, uh, with, the, with the Dead Rising sequel, which I think worked out much better for them in terms of the quality of the game and the reception to it. Mm, I think so. Yeah, I think Dead Rising Two is you know uh, it's definitely more well, well received than the first one. I, mean, I think there's been very little uh, clamour for a cane and rinse on Dead Rising or Dead Rising 2 or the, or the series. Um, it would probably be an interesting one to cover in some ways because you remember the first game was a pretty massive deal when it first came out um, for the Xbox 360. Um, and at least the second one, even though, you know, maybe it wasn't like, you know, game of the generation or anything like that. It was, it was reviewed well and people who played it seemed to enjoy it quite a bit. So it, it was at least some kind of proof of concept that Capcom could, you know, marry up with Western developers and produce games that weren't, you know, like Bionic Commando, basically. 
Um, so the creative director is the fella Tamim Antionades. Um, he's the is he the he's the sort of the main he's the guy who uh, is in responsible for that sp- particularly bright, colourful Ninja Theory look to all their games. Is that right? If, if he's the creative director, I'm sure he has you know well, a lot of say in. See the guy who's massive, big on redheads. Oh, I, I can't I can't blame. Totally big on redheads is Aless, uh, Alessandro Tani. Oh, okay. okay. He's the guy that actually does all the illustrations and shit, and he's a damn good artist. Um, well, it sure looks nice, um, talking about the aesthetics, um, that it's, yeah, it's hugely, um, rather than being, apart from a few sections, um, it's incredibly bright and colourful and vivid, isn't it? It really sears itself onto your retinas. It's got all these... Ninja Theory love their reds. They really do. Um, it's got a lot of reds. It's a double kind of thing, because the real world is actually really muted in comparison to Limbo. But when you're actually playing it, it's an explosion of colours. Yeah, that's what I love about it so much. Um, I played DMC Devil May Cry about a week after El Shaddai. I played El Shaddai, uh, you know, I missed out on the podcast last week due to scheduling issues. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I, then I played El Shaddai primarily for its wacky visuals and the, the way it looked and sounded. And I was like, that, that was cool, that, you know, seven hours kept me entertained. And then I got DMC and I was like, this plays so much better than El Shaddai. And it looks, you know, just as appealing to me. So um, yeah, the, the, the main attraction for me with DMC initially was just how warped, but yet beautiful, the Limbo looks. I was not expecting it at all. I did not expect Limbo to happen. I was like, this is fucking brilliant. Like, it's, it kind of taps into my brain. Like, I like weird things, and we're going to talk about it in a bit, but I'm a big fan of Noisia, and they do real twisted uh, electronic music, and I'm a, I'm a massive fan of them. When I heard they were on the soundtrack, I was all over it. So when Limbo snaps apart and Noisia kick in, I was in some sort of weird zen heaven. It was amazing. It's really interesting, actually, having El Shaddai and uh, DMC like back to back, like we've uh, we've planned it out because that it does feel like Darren brought up that there is kind of a sort of similar philosophy going into the level design in that. Uh, obviously, um, El Shaddai is much more painterly and uh, cell shaded, but it does feel like. Um, the envir- the art designers and the environment uh, people designing the environment said, let's just go crazy. Let's just, you know, use our imaginations. We have Limbo. It gives us a narrative uh, context for all this crazy stuff to happen. And I think it works really well. It also allows them to have really varied environments. Um, uh, you know, we've all talked about like games where it does kind of feel like you're going through, down the same brown corridors over and over again. It's kind of the reason why I tend to get bored of Gears of War because although the gameplay is really good, I do feel like I'm just going through the same environments all the way through. Whereas this, you have like um, you know the upside down river world. And- and uh, the you know the dance music one where you get to see all those colourful bars of music and stuff like that. It it's really creative. It's uh, it yeah. And and to think this is on the Unreal Engine as well. Um, like usually you know there's we've all heard the like oh the Unreal Engine can only do big <laughs> yes. burly men and several games have proved that to be absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm. true true enough but it, it's I, I think it's amazing just to see what the Unreal Engine is capable of when somebody really stretches it to its limit you don't really see that kind of visual stark contrast in any sort of games recently and I don't know if that's like a uh, a PR thing or like a, a, a management thing saying, oh, you can't make your game look so wacky and outlandish because, you know, we need to, we need to sell more copies. But 
when um, Dante heads into that weird tutorial level, you know, where you break the chains on that big statue thing, I don't know really what I'm talking about in terms of story, but the way it just, like, is sharp, real, like, sh- shocking blue next to shocking red, and it just, uh, it, it's such an appealing thing to me, and I, I can't believe that, like, I can believe it, but I'm sort of stunned that most developers are sort of shot, you know, pull, pushed away from those kind of visual looks just because they're afraid it won't sell as many. Well, we're seeing a lot more of it this year because I feel like a lot of games this year have decided let's put loads of colour in our games. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yes. I know what you mean. Yeah, I suppose there's something um, there's something slightly subversive about the the setup. So the setup is that there's you know this uh, it's kind of like um, is it They Live, the John Carpenter film? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you've got the, the, the people in uh, blissful but rather um, sort of... Uh, what's the word? Sort of stoned... Docile. Um, do- docile, uh, uh, lack of unawareness that they're being, you know, controlled and manipulated um, in this, yeah, in this rather drab, grey real mm. world. But then this... Um, this limbo, this uh, flip side that's full of demons and monsters, the, the the very creatures that are controlling them with drink and drugs and feeding them news, and you know this is where the satire of the game kicks in, um, is actually in some ways a much more appealing place to be, despite the fact that it's you know it's dangerous and it's scary, it's it's way more stimulating, and that, that sort of plays in. There's a there's a symbiosis with the music you've got as well as the noisier stuff, who are the um, they're the Dutch electronica mm-hmm. people, aren't they? And then you've yeah. got Combi Christ, who are the 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 sort of um, industrial Norwegian uh, rockists. Um, it's that that same the same idea of that sort of music is that you know almost celebrating the the dark and the demonic. It's almost you know it makes you feel more alive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and um, I d- yeah, it's almost like. It's more fun. It's more fun to be. It's got that same sort of wickedness, I suppose, that the, the the earlier Japanese games had. That actually being a badass, you know, devil child is is just more fun than being a you know a, a human drone. Yeah, the uh, the intro sort of cutscene, you know, it's very tongue in cheek. I, I feel like it's all done on purpose. You know, the the jumping through your trailer park through your jeans and t-shirt and covering up the genitals got the Austin like Powers um, you can never quite see is Willie <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I just I think it's an absolute brilliant setup. and people who say like he's, he's a rubbish character I, I don't think he's a rubbish character I just think he's it, he, he's cheesy and he's fun and I you know it, it's all intentionally uh, intentionally designed that way and yeah the, the intro level where you you know you see the big ferris wheel rolling in you know it's it's destroyed in limbo so therefore it's actually affecting the real world and they're they're they're, they're deemed as terrorists so it's such a really good setup and it's just something that i never really expected um from a devil may cry game i was just more expecting just a straightforward just like a more like god of war you know the story happens in god of war you don't really know what happens <laughs> i feel like in this it's sort of like the story it's just, it's so it's yeah it's it's quite simplistic, but I actually understood it. Yeah, I mean it is a simplistic story, but you you're always seeing it from a wider perspective because there's always cut to, cuts to the the news networks that are covering all uh, Dante's exploits, and hmm. you get to see what Mundus is up to, and uh, then you meet up with Virgil, and you get to see it from his perspective. So you know, as as you said, it's a very it's a simplistic story, not as deep as I might have liked personally, but you know. Um, They've definitely made an effort with it, which is more than you can say about the other games. Did anyone else find that the 
the tone was a bit variable in that it would go from sort of uh, obvious comedy like you know like that scene where he's nude and and things like that and you know certain amount of wisecracking and stuff but then there would be it would suddenly sort of juxtapose to something more serious and unpleasant without really stopping for breath I suppose that kind of makes it like any number of um, old Japanese games in a way maybe that's its its roots but it didn't always feel consistent or comfortable to me no, I mean, the real world is like that as well, you know? Like, you get gallows humour after, like, really terrible incidents. But I think it's really a holdover from the fact that this game was apparently meant to launch um, with a completely different storyline. Um, mm. It was meant to be a lot darker, but when Capcom of Japan got their hands on the the initial script for it, they just yeah. looked at it and said, we're not going to be able to sell this in Japan because the series is yep. written. You know, it's too much decapitations and arms getting pulled off and you can mm. actually see it in the credits. Um, you know how they've got like the mock-up shown over the credits? Yeah. There's sections um, in that that weren't in the game. Like, Dante impales a Stygian and then starts blowing chunks out of his handguns. And it looked cool as bits, but it wasn't in the game because, as uh, Capcom said, it w- wouldn't be able to sell it in Japan. Is that is that story stuff, though, or is that just that uh, they wanted to make the, the combat the, more visceral? I believe that it would be very much to do with the story. Um Obviously, you know, because there are some that, deeply unpleasant elements of uh, of the story. Um, one of our correspondents was a lot harder. One of our correspondents was particularly upset by the the abortion of the the devil spawn. Yeah, I don't believe that Virgil's actually a registered doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and that you know, it, I know, it, like it didn't bother me in the sense that I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was, I, I know some people are very sensitive to that kind of thing where any kind of infant mortality is involved, but this was fucking devil spawn, you know. Yeah. Um, and the cunt had just tried to kill you in the previous level, and he was bigger than you. Well, yeah. Um, but it certainly wasn't, it, it was It was, It was. was still, despite its kind of cartooniness and horror movie kind of shtick, it there were moments like that where I don't know. It was a bit. The tone was a bit uneasy. I felt. Anyone else? Well, yeah, no. I I I felt like it was a bit confused as to what it wanted to be. Like it what there were moments where it felt like it kind of closer to Bayonetta or something like that. Uh, especially when you're fighting like the succubus and yeah. those kind of and Bob Barbus and stuff like that. Mm. So that that feels more like Devil May Cry Three and uh, Bayonetta in terms of tone. But then you'll have these like really serious kind of conversations with Cat and Virgil and stuff, which That's is much more reminiscent. Yeah. yeah, which is much more reminiscent of Enslaved and stuff like that. And it, and it's interesting you bring up like you know Capcom Japan coming in and saying no 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 because it does feel almost like it does feel like I don't know like maybe they interfered with certain parts of the story and said okay let's make this really you know silly and jovial and stuff like that so that that maybe there are like this game is kind of serving two masters in some ways when it comes to the story I mean I do believe that was that I mean did any of you guys see the original trailers for it yeah, no, they were remember. much darker. The yeah. first teaser trailer was really dark. Yeah, I mean, like, he's got uh, Dante stubbing out cigarettes and demons, you know, just being a right bastard, you know? <laughs> and the thing is, like, you can see in, in that that it was originally going to show more of Dante's past, you know? Explain how he got to be the way that he is. Right. But um, I'm guessing that Capcom Japan didn't really want to see a, 
Um, even like a, a demon, half angel, half demon child, getting basically abused by demons for a section in the game, you know? Because, I mean, he was being tortured in uh, like, what looked some, like some kind of jail cell. And I think that would have, even though it's kind of dark shit, you know, would have gone some way to explaining how he got to where he is and uh, set up exactly why you want to take down this establishment of demons. Yeah, that would be interesting. It would probably be, you know, even if we had someone from Ninja Theory on here, they almost certainly wouldn't be allowed to say, you know, kind of what what they wanted to do that Capcom wouldn't let them or whatever. Um, especially not if there are going to be any more. Um, but yeah, it. I don't know, it kind of... Because of the nature of the previous games, or, you know, the amount, amount of them I have played, including having played through the third, I mean, it's certainly stronger in you know narratively and in terms of performances and characterization and while this dante is not somebody i'd want to necessarily you know socialize with he's not the complete fucking bell end that the japanese you know dmc3 dante was he's no um, one as fruity for one yeah <laughs> i never really had a problem with the uh, the story uh, you know the, the vibes of the story in dmc devil may cry uh, i kind of felt the way the game looked visually, you know, aesthetically, it was kind of like grim and dark anyway, so when it went dark in terms of story, I was kind of like, oh, okay, uh, you know, that's just the way the world is, and it's all mental, but whenever it got jovial, I never found it was with anyone other than Dante, so like, I can't really recall, you know, if there was any other instances, but I don't remember any other character other than Dante being a massive, you know, immature knobhead, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> it all seemed to be like everyone else around him were these evil bringers and, you know, you know, do-gooders or serious people. And then you've got Dante, who's just like a little cartoon man just running around with his knob out. It's, That's basically it, because, I mean, like, everybody else plays the... Well, they play their roles, like, completely straight, whereas he actually has fun with, the, mm, like, the game world and well, the things that happen within it. Some of the boss monsters, uh, like the succubus, uh, you know, that those scenes are played for comedy on both sides, I would say. I, 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 well, I was going to say most of the villains are pretty cartoonish. Uh, uh, I forget what's uh, Lilith is pretty uh, cartoonish, yeah. and so is in Bob a utterly grotesque fashion. Yeah, yeah. in a completely yeah. different way to Dante. Like Dante actually feels like a car in a, in, a, in a good way, a cartoon, like a cartoon character. But Lilith, she is like disgusting, and you know it's funny. It's funny because she's absolutely she's always pulling her skin back to you know you stop her from revealing her true self. I do believe that's what it is. Yeah. So mm. um, it, it's like, oh, that's disgusting. And you're laughing at it because it's done so well. And it's just so, and especially when the baby crawls, uh, you know, with that boss fight, the baby actually pops out of her and then sucks her back into the belly. Now that's hilarious, but not for the same reasons that Dante hilarious. Like Dante seems to be like the comic relief to, um, well, to pull the story through. I mean, the thing is, I but, mean, like the other cartels, I mean, I'm not saying that they're all the same kind of dimension, you know, they're all, not all completely serious, mm. but they don't have the same emotional range, you know, they, they kind of have their role and they stick to it, even though it's quite different from the people around them. I, 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 would, con- I would contest that. I think one of the strengths of this game over um, uh, previous entries in the series is that characters do actually have, like, personalities rather than just... Like, Dante is just the same person all the no, way I mean, through. I'm not, I'm not saying that they don't have personalities. I'm saying that they don't have a... They don't kind of break out of that their own personality. They don't go crazy with it, you know? Dante... Well, I, I, w- I would contest that. I think Dante, Dante can sometimes be, like, the cocky dick that he is in previous games, but sometimes he is serious, and sometimes he is uh, a bit... Especially when it comes to the subject of, you know... 
Cat being in danger and Virgil dismissing her and stuff like that. He does put his serious face on. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that's the thing. Ca- the everyone but Dante. Dante seems to roll with it a bit more, you know, like from situation yeah, yeah. to situation. He hmm. changes. Especially in regards to Vir- I think Virgil does. I think Virgil's the most interesting character in the game. I don't think he's a particularly amazing character, but compared to everyone else in this game, I think he uh, goes on the most interesting like journey he's not just the sometimes you think oh okay this guy's a pretty decent bloke but then sometimes he's a complete and utter ruthless bastard he i think that he does change and he's you know compared to what virgil was in devil may cry 3 like devil may cry 3 virgil was just twirly twirly mustache all the way through whereas it, it did feel like they tried to create some kind of Magneto Professor X relationship with Dante and yeah. him. I mean, I liked Virgil as well. I mean, the main thing about him is that he's not a bad guy. He just lacks empathy, you know. Yeah. Um, he, he loves his brother because that's what they've kind of got to do because they're family and shit. But um, he really doesn't seem to care about anyone else. You know, everyone can be used. There are two, well, we're- and that's about it. He's an ends justify the means type of guy, whereas Dante is very much like, no, no, we, we can't sacrifice Cat just so we can win. But you know, she's just as important. Uh, yeah, um, but I, I, I think the problem is less that the character. Like, I do think the characters are three dimensional. It's as we said before. It's just that the tone's kind of all over the place. Um, I, I, and to be fair, I, I don't think it's bad. I, I actually enjoyed the story. I think it's, you know, it's really pleasant, and I think they do some, not clever things, just they do some smart things with the story. It's just not as well written as Heavenly Sword or Enslaved. Like it's, it feels in some ways this game feels like the inverse of um, what. Uh, Ninja Fury have done in the past because what makes this game really stand out and what's really strong about this game isn't what's really strong about uh, their previous games Yeah, Yeah. perhaps particularly in the case of um, female character where both Heavenly Sword and Enslaved are famous for their uh, unusually strong female characters Cat is perhaps a bit of a just a a sidelined kind of almost I, I liked her. But yeah, she, yeah, she's not dislikable, yeah. but she doesn't have a, a very important part to play. Yeah. Um, maybe that, again, maybe that is... A lot A lot of these are perhaps restrictions that were imposed on uh, DMC by its predecessors, um, you know, bringing in new characters and things like that. Kat is a brand new character, right? She yeah. wasn't never in... Well, she, 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 she looks really reminiscent of Lady from Devil May Cry 3, but I wonder if that's just a reference rather than a... Yeah. A natural thing. I think mm. that if they really wanted to have a strong female character, they should have went the entire way with the reboot and just made Dante female. <laughs> well, it's something you know. It's something that's often talked about with Doctor Who having a female, you know, regeneration, and why not have a a, a female reboot character with, with, in a video game? It certainly, you know, would have been something for the fans to talk about. Um, yeah, I suppose that would have, you know, people would have compared it even more to Bayonetta and perhaps. Perhaps they didn't want that. Uh, yeah, Dantina. <laughs> I don't know, but um, yeah, I I didn't. I certainly sort of have a decent memory of the experience of what felt like a kind of grotesque sort of Ken Russell meets Monty Python gore fest cartoon. Um, 
but I don't I think tellingly when when I started to go back and replay levels on different difficulties for ranks for for points just for the gameplay I wasn't re-watching those cutscenes over and over again um, there are a few that are worth watching over again but really I don't think you need to experience them more than once generally um, but yeah there are some there are some certainly some eye-opening exchanges and, yeah. and s- some some scenes and moments but yeah, it's not a game that's probably going to win awards for its well, I narrative. Mean, my, my main disappointment with the story was that humanity was under the yoke of the demons, but they seemed to be getting by okay, despite being docile and having... Well, that's just it, there. Darren. That's, that's, that's the real... That's what's going on, man. That's what's going on, but at the same time, you know, like, for <laughs> me, what I really need is a real reason to take out the bastards, you know? Mm. Like, if they were going around chopping off their heads at every third child, you know? That kind of... That's, that's got a, like, an instant spur, you know? Like, um, all these people are docile and just doing their own thing and docile mm. about. Just like mm. us, and I don't care about most people, you know? Well, well, when you consider how the game ends, maybe they should have just left things the way they were. Because <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah. the city is destroyed and all the demons and humans interact with each other as if they're in the same plane of existence. It's like, oh, thanks guys, thanks for getting rid of Mundus. Uh, more interesting. Now we have to deal with all this crap. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting for a sequel, I reckon. But Yeah. So we should really talk about the gameplay because that is what it's all about, um, mm. or what it's more about, I would suggest. And um, I think for me, it's uh, it starts off a little slowly in the sense that they can't just, for obvious reasons, they can't just throw in all these techniques and and stuff. You start off with a very limited move set and weapon set, but then over the course of your first playthrough, you pretty much acquire everything, bar a few little extras. Um, and by the end, my goodness, you know, going back as I did today, just for a quick refresher, going back, playing on higher difficulties, levels that I hadn't, you know, managed to uh, S rank or above. Um, it takes a few minutes to get your head back around the controls. If you haven't played for a while, it's not like, you know, where I've been playing something like FIFA for years, which has equally complex controls, maybe more so in some ways. But um it's second nature to me I, it's completely imprinted on my brain you know I can remember every single control maybe like Darren Foreman you have with, with a game like this but um, it took about you know it takes about half an hour and then suddenly you're you're opening up in you know you're you're actually willing on groups of monsters to arrive you, you don't want those scenes where it's just one or two you want a group of five six seven I don't actually know what the the kind of the, the upper number is um, maybe you do but um, you want that to happen because the feeling of of using particularly the the grab uh, the chain what, what's it actually called heaven no uh, angel left and demon pull angel left and demon pull yeah that is that those are the things that absolutely make the combat in this game for me obviously it has to be as responsive as it is and as and and have as much variety and the feeling of power and things like the the payoff of the slow-mo final kill and stuff like that that's all marvelous but it's the it's that lift and the pull where you you use the triggers the trigger modifiers to grab enemies and either fly towards them or or pull their shield out from them whatever so you can basically keep up this this combo sometimes you never hit the ground um makes it better than than DMC3 for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of extra things in there as well, you know, like, um, DMC3 is an old game now, you know, like, just, mm. just like, small things, like the fact that the camera is completely player-controlled now, you can set it to your, uh, how you want to see. Um, 
Just, yeah. you know, things like that make it a lot easier. And the fact that you can dodge just with the triggers, that's a, a huge thing for me because yeah. more than a lot Bumpers, of yeah. um, more than a lot of aspects of combat games, maneuverability and the ability to dodge and get the hell out of there when you need to, that's more important for me than just getting stuck in, you know? Mm. Like, I mean, if you look at Ninja Gaiden Black, which is my favourite uh, action game of all time, probably yeah. my favourite game of all time, there's only ever three or four enemies there, but they're incredibly agile and so are you. Yeah. You know, jumping off the walls, and it's the fact that you can respond when you need to that makes the game so appealing. And DMC's got a lot of that kind of instant feedback. Yeah, you're right, the dodge is, the dodge is up there as, as an important thing. Yeah, Sorry, Josh. I honestly feel comfortable saying that this is one of my favourite combat systems of any game of this type. I I really really fell in love with it. Mm. Um, the the uh, you already talked about the grapple moves that you can do, which are great. But I just having you know weapons attached to the triggers just makes chaining together combos so much easier, and you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. I tend to stick with the big gauntlets and uh, the glaive weapon. I forgot what it was called. Um, Labrador. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, wait a is minute. It co- You're speaking about the, the angel version. That's the Aquila. Yeah, the glaives. Yeah, yeah. Aquila. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just, you know, swapping between those, having the really slow but strong attacks and then just immediately going into this really quick, really speedy attack. And and it also does that thing that, you know, Devil May Cry 3 and Bayonetta do where combos can be triggered just by the timing of your button presses. Mm. And, and there are a lot of moves in there that are lifted straight out of Devil May Cry 3. And it feels a lot like Devil May Cry 3, except just evolve, just evolve totally. for this generation of combos. Consoles. Mm. It's it's really clever, and not and it's not just the core controls as well. It's the enemy variety as well, and I feel like they do a really good job of introducing new enemies that change up the tactics almost every level. Um, um, they start off simple enough, where you you know you just have the basic enemies that go, oh, I'm going to attack you. But then they introduce like this witch, this glow, the witch that glows blue that has like a shield around her, and she'll put the shield onto other enemies as well, just to give them extra protection. And it's about like, okay, she's actually making all of these other guys more powerful, so I've got to take her out first. And you know the guy, and the, you have the guys who throw. You know, chainsaws, uh, chain, circular chainsaw blades at you, and then you have the guys who charge at you with their chainsaws that um, uh, you can't attack while they're charging and stuff like that. There's so many enemies, and there's uh, and they and you have to apply different tactics for every single one. It's I, it's really well put together. <laughs> while, while you're doing all that, you're being ranked in the top right-hand corner, and you know the, the letters correlate to how are you doing, so D for dirty, C for cruel, and all that. But you can see it draining down as you're not hitting people. Yes. Like you, you're like, I really felt it with this game. I know it's in other games as well, but with this one, I don't know why. Maybe it's more prominent in Devil May Cry, like over Bayonetta or something. But I just felt like, oh man, I've got a C. I need to I need to kick it up a notch. And when you get hit by an enemy and it takes you down to a D, you, you just feel oh, you, you, you feel that like yeah, you just deflated, oh. but I just restart the level right there. Yeah, man, you know, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I've never felt like that with these games before. Usually, it's just like, oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll because you I'll, know it was your fault. That's the yeah. Thing. yeah. Like with Bayonetta, it's like, oh, I've got the copper statue or the whatever the stone statue or the ninja dog or whatever and I'm like oh bollocks to it but this is like no I need to get that up to at least an S and uh, I think that's you know that, that's a testament to just how well the combat works yeah and it's to do with the controls as well because there's something about the way the controls all flow together that makes it so easy to mix up mm-hmm. your attacks 
You know, you don't even have oh. to be using the same weapons. Left or right in the D-pad will change your angel or yeah. demon versions to completely different weapons. I love it. You can do that mid-combo. You know, mm-hmm. it gives you yeah. just this really incredible freedom to chain the combos and play it as you want. Yeah, you spend virtually no time in menus or in loading screens, for that matter, in this game. Um, and uh, you know, you occasionally might want to select an item, but if if you if you're playing for high scores and you're in the menu selecting items, you're probably doing it wrong. So, um, it's just yeah, it's just a constant flow. And and again, once you've re- once you've played and replayed some of the earlier levels a few times, probably any of the levels. Um, you can really get around them really fast because you've you've got this move where, as well as grappling from from place to place, you can basically boost through the air for for, for a fair old distance. It's almost you feel pretty much like a yeah like a a, a superhero at this point. It's almost like although the, it's it's in no way an open world game like say Inf- Infamous or something like that. There's mm-hmm. that similar feeling of empowerment of of locomotion being able to get from one place to another without anyone bothering you and when you do get places as i say this is the crucial thing for me and this is magnified with the bosses you actually you're relishing you're looking forward to encounters it's not like oh shit here we go it's like yeah come on then i can i can take you on Now, I, I don't profess to be any sort of doyen at these games. I'm definitely not the worst player ever, but I'm a million miles from the best. Mm. But you can feel, even though you know, I, I played the game through and, and a chunk again, but before I sort of run out of time to be able to, to dabble with it, but you can feel yourself getting better every time mm. you play it, you know, because it's mm. that it's it's got that, le- that level of depth to it and that level of skill. Um, it was really satisfying today going back to some of the levels that I played before expecting to get lower rankings and actually after a little bit of refamiliarization just it did kind of come back to me in that riding a bike way that you know I kind of remembered how to deal with certain enemies and stuff like that and just remembering to use to flip between the the the, the, the red and blue modifiers yeah stuff like there that. is also another interesting aspect of the the routing system which is Every time you do a move, it actually scores you right there and then, mm. and it displays just what you're doing, how much it's worth, and if you if you repeat moves, it you know you can see that it's affecting your score negatively. It's degrading your score, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a key thing: the fact that it makes you avoid repetition. Um, and of course, you know, if you're not naturally that gifted at these sorts of games, it's very easy to slip into button bashing. But and this is kind of the thing I wanted to to get at earlier. You know, for people who just aren't don't get any thrill out of this this type of gameplay there's not much there's not an amazing game here for those people is there 
you know there's it is so much so much of this game's appeal is about wanting to to become an expert and and getting that buzz out of the you know the, something that i you know that darren foreman here can particularly do but i can't uh, without a, an enormous amount of commitment is is that thing of going through levels without getting hit you know without basically doing it as perfectly as you can I don't know. I, I, I feel like the platforming uh, world transformation stuff is interesting for other people as well. Um, I don't think the platform is that good, though. I, I feel like the platforming I is a bit it's okay. rubbish. I, think it's, I mean, it didn't detract from the game, and I thought that it was used intelligently. It wasn't overstaying its welcome. But the actual act of platforming was just... It felt very utilitarian. There wasn't that much joy in it by itself, but it was pleasant enough just going through the motions, you know? Well, it was more the stuff that was going on in the Absolutely. environment yeah. while you mm. were doing that stuff. Like, the the sequence that really sticks out in my mind is the sequence where uh, Virgil and Kat are in the car, and time keeps slowing down and speeding back up, and you have to move, like, uh, trucks and stuff out mm -hmm. of their way before they collide with it. And usually, in most games, that would just be a quick-time event, mm. but instead they actually use, like, the grapple mechanics and the jumping that's already a part of the game in that sequence and I was really impressed. Yeah, also like on level 4 when uh, you're trying to get through the alleyways and they're trying to crush you, the visual effect oh, yeah. is tremendous, you know. It's beautiful. I think it would have actually been slightly better if the environment could hurt you a little bit more, you know. You just had to be a little bit more aware of it during those sequences. Yeah, some of it's a bit all for show, isn't it? It's um, there, are, there are bits where it looks, no. Yeah. yeah, you just don't actually feel any real sense of danger, you know. Everything's blown up around you. But you don't feel actually threatened by that fact, you know. Did anyone else get stuck at the start of the game, right? On the on the pier where it's all breaking up and you're jumping across the gaps and you know the trailer parks are falling in front of you. You need to do a double jump and that's before the game's told you how to double jump. And I got incredibly frustrated <laughs> at that part. I was like, What do you mean I can't jump this gap? And then I was like, Oh, there's a double jump and ten minutes later it's like, You can do a double jump. I you don't like, remember that. I don't uh, it happened to me again on this PC playthrough. But I was even I was even streaming and people were just mocking me in the stream. Like, I I I kind of just automatically assume everything has a double on. joke, mm. <laughs> and if it doesn't, I'm just severely disappointed with the game and I just put it back in the box. Examples of uh, that, like through other people, because I remember playing it with a friend of mine. You know, like I gave him a go, and for some reason he kept going the wrong way around the trails and getting bashed by them, and like just going completely the wrong way, even though it just seems so straightforward. Is he a mm. regular games player? He plays a lot of games and he's not that bad at them. He just couldn't seem to wrap his head around what was happening in this one sequence. Yeah, it it happens. Yeah, yeah. there are some. It's, it's weird with some games. Like some games you gel with in terms of their signposting, and other games you don't. I've I've played a couple of games recently where you know I start to think, shit, have I got? Am I getting dementia or something? Because I'm finding the signposting so utterly, you know inadequate but but other games i'm fine i'm breezing through them you know whatever it's it's weird it's weird like that yeah. um darren foreman one question i wanted to ask you because you played both uh, pc and console versions how much difference does the 30 to 60 frames comparison make in such a precise and fast-paced action game not as much as you might think mm -hmm. um if you're going backwards like if the game is originally designed for 60 frames a second and the controls are mapped to that you know it can feel sluggish if you can only react within the 30. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this was made for 30. So the, the additional frames, they don't really add that much um, like responsiveness to it because it's based on a 30 frames per second uh, game engine, okay. you know, the combat. All right. So, I'll take uh, your word on the science because I'm not sure. But Neither am I. I mean, I'm, I, I never go deep into these. I happen to be pretty good at them. 
but it's all like intuitive, you know. So if yeah. I was trying to explain it, I might get some things wrong. Mm-hmm. But as far as I can tell from my own experiences, you know, it's it's. Well, not your scores uh, similar on both versions, as in, like, if you played the same level uh, through oh, on yeah, the console absolutely. and the PC version, would you get a similar uh, total, or would yeah, you struggle? I mean, I, I've, mm-hmm. play, I've played with them, and my scores tend to be quite similar. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like um, when I went back to the 360 version after the PC, the the, the general scores I was getting were very similar. That's good to know. Now I've got a question for you guys, because they're the two probably most controversial uh, aspects of the combat engine. Hmm. Um, so the first one would be, how did you guys find the lack of a lock-on? It didn't bother me at all. Nah, it wasn't a problem at all. kind of get used to lock-on in those kind of games, but I didn't miss it at all. It's the lift and the pull that make up for it, isn't it? Because mm. they automatically lock on. Um, mm. But I think there are points where it could have... Done, but the, I think the problem is they ran out of controller buttons, didn't they? But to have the Not combat really, system... because they do use two controller buttons for the dodge. They could have used uh, one of them for that and the other for the lock-on. Uh, I suppose, yeah. Would you have preferred that? No. The thing is, like, Ninja Gaiden doesn't have a lock-on either, and that's the game I've got the most experience with. Yeah. And Devil May Cry is really close in that regard, DMC, mm. because it's got intelligent mapping towards the enemies that you're aiming at. Yeah. You know, occasionally it may get squiffy, but it's not that often. Yeah. Um, like, um, it's only the... Say you do it 99 times out of 100, you might mess up once if you if the two of them are too close together. And that doesn't happen a lot for me because I, I tend to take that into account when I'm devising strategies on the fly. It's funny, it's pretty much... Uh, I think it was pretty much Ocarina of Time that invented the the the, the, mm. the Z-lock in a 3D environment. Um, and obviously many, many, many games have, have used it since for, for, for good reason, because it, it can be helpful. But... But yeah, it's not necessarily essential, is it? And as I say, for me, I think because I'm using the lift and pull, you know, grapple attacks virtually all the time in combat anyway, that kind of supersedes the need for a, for a lock-on. I um, think there's enough mm. uh, visual and audio uh, signposting for you to manage a situation. Like, you know, when those little flying pathos things throw a grenade at the floor, there's a little circle emanating around your feet, so you know to roll that out of the way. And the chainsaw dudes make their noise in the corner, so you sort of got a good idea of what's around you at any one time. Yeah. So the, the lock-on doesn't really bother me, because you're like, okay, I, I, I can hear a guy on that side of the room, I know there's some dudes up in the, you know, flying above me, and you can manage it quite easily, I think. One th- one thing I was going to mention. This is more of an artistic consideration than gameplay, but the some of the enemy designs are a bit disappointing. I found there's this is not the bosses. We'll talk about the bosses in a minute. Um, but some of the regular enemies, I quite like the little you know the creepy cherubs and and things like that. They're all very distinctive in terms of it, they're easy to tell apart from one another. But I don't think they're very because they've got this kind of they're obviously supposed to have this sort of slightly ethereal like they're almost phasing in and out of existence effect they've got these sort of washes yeah I like them up like dropping ink from Lumbo yeah I don't it it doesn't it, I didn't enjoy that I found it sort of distracting and just and made just made things look a bit messy and actually I just you know just in terms of the actual look of the enemies you know compared to my my favorite of that type which is Bayonetta where the enemies are really fucking weird and creepy and totally recognizable um it fell well short of that for me um I'm not I'm not entirely sure I mean the thing is I mean I don't think I would miss that kind of visual um overlay like the the kind of stain that's coming off them mm. <laughs> but at the same time you know I've been open to just like really pristine designs you know like as though they looked like like super real, you know, and uh, not so much super real, but you know they would shine. Hmm. Well, for me, it depends what enemies you're talking about. If you're like some of the more basic enemies, kind of look all right, but like I thought the the witch, 
looked really fantastic. And um, uh, who are the? What's the name of the guys who have the the two swords who teleport? And when you fight them, uh, I call them dickheads. <laughs> I hate those people. Oh, oh they're, they're the best enemies to fight in the game. I, I, I mean, I mean that, and that they kick my ass. I just, I can't, yeah. I can yeah. never work them out. Like they're always blocking me, and I can only get them when they teleport. And like now's my time. And then there must yeah. be an, an easier way of telling when for me to attack, but I just can't work them out. I really enjoy those guys as well. They're called Dream Runners, by the way. And then there's the boss battle, oh, right, which is yeah. the, the Dvorak. Yeah, I think yeah. they're my favourites, actually. Yeah, uh, the thing is, yeah. like, it's strange that everyone likes them so much, because in a game like Devil May Cry, they do mess up your combos, because they're blocking you, they're deflecting bullets. Mm. Yeah. Even when you've got them in a combo, they can parry you and then, like, counter-attack. And, uh, but they, they they feel like you're you're fighting an equal, though. Yeah, right? that's they the thing. feel I mean, like you're fighting somebody that's who's one of the reasons on your I like them so level. Much. They are very close to a Ninja Gaiden kind of design. You know, yeah. like, a, that kind of intelligent enemy as opposed to Cannon Fodder. Yeah. Mm. And, um, you know... They, they've just got this huge range uh, of movement and attacks. They can jump through portals, they can parry you, as I said, and they're just really satisfying to fight. And I think they are, their design is superb as well, you know, they're like, they're creepy, you know? It's not It's not just their uh, their their look, it's the way they're animated. Just yeah. They have this like weird like puppet thing going on. It's kind of, actually kind of similar to um, Arturus, the Abyss Walker in Dark Souls, the way he's just kind of like broken but really fast and agile as well. Yeah. Um, Perhaps yeah. I'm being slightly unfair. Um, I think you know it's that thing of uh, comparing. It, it, it's easy for me to perhaps too easy for me to compare everything to my favourite of the genre, which is still Bayonetta. And mm. I love those enemy designs so much that even if even though the ones in in DMC may come up a little bit short, perhaps I'm too harsh on them. But now you've reminded me there are some good ones, but. Yeah, uh, just just on a personal aesthetic. Uh, yeah, level. I mean it is really personal because I mean the enemies in Bayonetta, the only one I actually liked fighting was Jean, you know, like her design, and she was basically an actual carter, you know. Yeah, no, for me it was the creatures just appealed to my subconscious on a on a yeah, just really profoundly affecting sort of way. Whereas the ones in I've right, kind of come up with some. I mean, you're fighting demons, so it makes sense that you're fighting actual demon demonic yeah, yeah. designs, you know. Yeah. But I think um, if they'd come up with some slightly more, I don't know. I'd like to say imaginative, but that's probably the wrong word. You know, just like varied, I suppose. You yeah. know, like something that isn't like screaming and primal. You know, just sh- mm. something shiny, like a knight or something like that. You know. I was also going to ask you guys' opinions on the colored enemies. I th- I think that's that's probably my favourite aspect of the combat. Cause it really makes you think and it forces you into situations you're not particularly interested in like when you fight, play these games you have your own method you're like these are the moves I like I'm going to do them over and over and over again but then you see like in the uh, the, the dancing dance floor you know the rave level hmm. it, has the, it has those things on the floor those tiles that uh, are red and blue and they, they injure you if That's you're really pressing cool. the wrong button yeah it's a really cool um, idea and you're like oh no now I've got to you know I've got to use my Aquila now and I don't really want to be using the blue moves right now but I have to because either you know the floors all frosted that's how you or... learn though isn't it you turn exactly you, yeah you, th- those enemies and those sections teach you that like maybe these are weapons that you would ignore especially you know lower level players like myself you do definitely get locked into using your favourite combos you don't necessarily want to get out of your comfort zone and the game's kind of not forcing you to but strongly encouraging you to to mix things up a bit. Um, yeah, I suppose it is forcing you in some ways, but but it's not it's not an unpleasant thing. It's not like I don't want to be doing that because as soon as you unleash, you know, maybe an attack you haven't used before, it's like fuck, that was really cool. Jesus, I've never used that, and then you then you slowly start to incorporate it into your regular play, 
and of course you want to because you want to get those high scores those triple s ranks mm. yeah and if i hadn't been forced into using my blue moves against the blue uh, rage is it the the, the ghost rage because like, you can't hit him when, yeah. when you're not activating your blue moves. Uh, sorry for the poor terminology, but I don't really That's know. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you suddenly realise that the Aquila can actually hold one of them in position by throwing them at it. Like, it, it sort of holds them, crowd control. It keeps them there. So you're like, well, while he's you know, juggling the Aquila, I can then turn into the, the red moves and hit the, red ra- uh, yeah. the blood rage. Yeah, and the prop shredder has got an insane amount of active frames on it for parrying and everything. Um, if you haven't tried parrying and you want to try the prop shredder, I would highly recommend checking it out. So I, I think Ninja Theory do a really good job in telling you what the what the weapons do. Uh, like they, they use quite basic terminology when you pick up a weapon. It's like this is the Aquila, and it's used for you know largely crowd control situations. So they give you a good idea of what you should be doing with this move, like when you first get it. And uh, yeah, you, you, with the with the um, the Eric's the, the fist. I use them for knocking people into the air, and it kind of says, you know, this is a more, this is a slower paced uh, attack, but it's more damaging and stuff like that. So, Ninja Fury have done a really good job in actually telegraphing to the player, and you know, why you should be using this weapon and when. It's yeah, it's really, really well designed. Barely even talked about uh, the firearms, uh, of which there are a number to collect, and and every of the how many weapons are there? Seven in seven main uh, melee weapons in the game, and they're all hugely upgradable. Um, in terms of you know collecting more moves, um, but the actual the guns you know um, are they do, do you fellas use them a lot? Um, I find myself not using them that much. Um, uh, they do have their uses. Um, the guns yeah. tend to be used to break down blocks. You know, like um, on, on higher difficulties, they yeah. always tend to block a lot more. You know, with the, your melee strikes. So you just put a couple of bullets in their face, and then it opens them up. On top of that, they're good for uh, continuing combos, obviously. The shotgun will take the wings off the angels, uh, which is really handy later on when they start chucking spears at you like all the time. And the kablooey, which I barely used, is just that thing is mental. It's (laughs) the thing is, it's like the more you attack someone with the kablooey, you can you can like stack charges, and if you stack every charge in it, you basically Mm. get a supernova at the end when you finally blow it up, and it can just absolutely rack things. You know, like it doesn't matter what kind of enemy gets hit by it. If it doesn't get destroyed, it's going to be goddamn close to it. I I did feel like the gun co- uh, gun com- uh, combat was a bit nerfed compared to previous entries in the series. That's interesting. Um, like in Devil May Cry Three, I played because you can pick different like uh, ro- uh, classes basically in Devil May Cry Three, and the the role I picked was the gunslinger. And with that, you can do all sorts of interesting things with uh, ebony and ivory. You could shoot in all directions, like like um, the film Equilibrium, like the gun catter stuff. You could do that. Um, you can you can still do that, like spinny gun thing in the air in um, in this game, but uh, it's brainstorm. nowhere near as yeah, it's nowhere near as destructive as it was in Devil May Cry Three. And uh, the the just and the. The, the guns are just less interesting because you had the shotgun uh, w- and you could still do the nunchuck thing that you could do with it in Devil May Cry 3 but you, like, you had like the missile launcher in Devil May Cry 3 <laughs> yeah. where you could just stick it in the ground and fire loads of missiles at everyone and all sorts of different things and if I was like I think the combat in this game is absolutely fantastic really you know 
some of the best there is, but I just it's missing some of the imagination when it comes to weapons that previous entries had. Like I really wi- like I know maybe it would have been tonally off for this game to have a get for a weapon like Nevan, uh, Nevan. Uh, but just it, it was just really fun having an electric guitar as a weapon, um, and just you know, you know, uh, doing solos and having lightning storms all around you. It would, and I know that get, that weapon would have been silly in this game, but maybe something you know a bit more creative. Uh, you know, like, like you had um, uh, Rudra and all. Uh, what's it, Rudra? Yeah, just like this one sword is fire and one sword is wind. You know, that that tonally could have worked in this game. Yeah, but, um, yeah for sure. Yeah, but they kind of Saving stuck it for the to sequel, basics. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know yeah. what I always thought about that at the time. I mean, like, I think that the, the weapons that they do have in the game are... Ju- I mean, util- utility-wise, they're fantastic. Um, the cool yeah, I think, yeah. is actually fairly imaginative, you know? Um, oh yeah, that that stands out as imaginative. It's just I wish. Yeah, it's just it's it just was, if you can it, compare it to the past, you know, like the old weapons did have more of a presence because they seem to have more history, you know. Like they would come it, from a boss this, for the most part, you know. It, mm. In this, it, it did feel like I think the word you used uh, a minute ago was functional. Like they they do feel really effective and that they do their job that the best they could possibly do it's just they they lack the personality i think that's the word i was looking for the personality of something like nevan or uh, the fire and wind sword and stuff like that they they you love them while you're in combat but they don't stay in your memory after you've played the game like those weapons did there's a certain amount of talk uh of ninja theory you know having a lot of help with this excellent you know top-notch uh japanese style shall we say uh arena based hack and slash action combat um i mean i suppose you know we don't know for sure but i think hideaki itsuno was involved um who uh worked on devil may cry before and uh since worked on dragon's dogma which is a slightly different sort of combat um but it it definitely feels like it shows. Um, it's hard to imagine, having come off the back of Heavenly Sword and Enslaved, that they could have possibly nailed it like they did without some uh, Capcom input. Is that fair to say? I believe so. You know, like um, the thing is, the the combat is just too tight compared to the old ones. You know, it it, it emulates it so. It's not like perfectly. You know, like the feel is different, but it's different in an intelligent way. Mm. And I get the feeling that um, Ninja Theory did learn a lot while they were doing this game. Yeah. Which will hopefully roll over their future projects. Yeah, possibly even more DMC. We don't know, I do we? God damn hope so. Mm. Uh, yeah, so those bosses then, we should talk about the bosses, um, at least one of them. Um, I mean, I certainly have a strong... The, the Succubus fight was in the uh, demo, and actually it was so sort of outrageous with its vomiting and and swearing that it was i did actually find it laugh out loud funny that mm-hmm. that character was so gross um <laughs> and so foul-mouthed and so unpleasant that it it was funny and and more importantly that was the first that you know they put a boss fight in the demo demos are sometimes you know the death knell for some games because they're so awful but actually i was like shit i really enjoyed that i enjoyed this boss fight rather than it being 
you know, a, a horrible a trial uh, that you know that I wasn't ready for and that I didn't enjoy. It was like that was actually really good fun, um, and it was you know, and it's really satisfying to have. You could practically smell the sick. You know, it was just really nasty um, and and really satisfying to put her away. Um, I, I really enjoyed like the bluntness of her her put downs and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, and and the boss fights. Uh, yeah, I can't remember hating a boss fight in the game. Perhaps I've forgotten one that I did dislike. Any highlights and lowlights? We we obviously got to talk about Bob Barbus in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's actually possibly too few bosses in the game, considering how good they are. Yeah, the one maybe. disappointment for me was actually the Mundus fight, which was just like he gets he gets really big and levels a city, you know. Um, it's lack of imagination compared to the rest of them. Functionally, That's it true. plays fine. Yeah. It's just that I think that Ninja Theory could have been a bit more creative with that, considering that they did so such an amazing job with the other bosses, even yeah. even the boss that comes after Mundus, you know. I was actually going to highlight Virgil because I imagine we're going to talk quite a bit yeah, about Bob Barber, uh, Bob Barbus, but I really want to talk about the Virgil fight because I knew they were going to do it at some point. And for me, like the Virgil fights in Devil May Cry Three, honestly, are you know some of my favourite moments in video games. Mm. So when they approach that you know moment in the game, it's like oh, you're treading on hallowed ground here, but they they nailed it. Like that was a that felt really similar to those bouts in Devil May Cry 3, but, you know, different. They had a different take on it, and I just love the way that um, when his health reached a certain point, it would naturally just go into this short little cutscene conversation with um, Dante and Virgil, and there was no loading time. It didn't feel like there was some kind of awkward transition. It would just go, combat, little bit of dialogue, carry on with the combat it's just really well done um and i really love when games nail that kind of like i'm just a normal dude i'm just a normal dude let's fight and we're equal when they nail that it it can be some of the best moments in games and i feel like they did nail it yeah because i mean like in in boss fights one of the problems is that a lot of developers are incompetent when they take the control away and then they throw you back in and it just feels disjointed as you were saying that virtual fight from start to finish was incredibly well done all the transitions like, they just float so smoothly into one another. And the nice thing about most, most of the bosses in this game, they've all got, like, little hidden elements that you can take advantage of. Like, you've got the hunter on level 1. Very fast level, big lurching enemy just kind of swanning around trying to stab you. Or trying to grab you with a claw. And there's a point where he, like, he retreats and he spits out this fog. So you can't see the environment around you. And you just hear and see the sword whistling towards you. Like, spinning like a buzzsaw. And if you attack that... Goes like a cutscene where Dante just bats it straight back into his face and opens it up for massive combos, you know? Little things like that, and like there's the Mundus spawn. What I didn't know until about the third time through the game was that if you do an angel lift and then the angel uppercut, which is a move I rarely used, you'll actually knock him on his ass from it, and then you'll have time to get stuck in there. There's a lot of just tiny little things like that, you know, like parrying um, Lilith's uh, like claw swipes. These are things. These are sort of Easter eggs, but they're also little facets of gameplay that actually, you know, reward experimentation. So, like, um, rather than it just being, you know, wait for the boss to reveal its weak spot and then hack its glowing point for massive damage, etc. Yeah. Um, there's actually more to it than that. And yeah, like even certainly on the default difficulty, which is not difficult at all. It's a it's a pretty it's surprisingly easy a, a game on on the default difficulty. I thought 
um, especially compared to its predecessors, uh, which is probably a good thing because you know the harder difficulties are definitely there if you want them. Um, the bosses were so good at communicating uh, their attacks, it, and being hit never felt unfair. It never felt baffling. Like you know, I have no fucking clue where I'm supposed to be standing, what I'm supposed to be doing. Everyone's got you know tells. Um, yeah and all that sort of thing uh, you know maybe a better games player than I or somebody more committed to a game like this would, would find that stuff almost patronising but for me it's it's a good level of the, th- the thing is I mean as you're saying about the patronising thing there um, the fact that you might find it easy but there's always a way to excel and look incredibly cool while that's you're it this, yeah. you know yeah. like um, the difference between me who doesn't get hit and the difference between like this guy that I've seen on YouTube um, I'll look up his name for the end of this but he doesn't only j- just not get hit. He plays with enemies. He just... Yeah. Massive combos. Just all this crazy dodging. It's it's stuff that I would take a long time to get anywhere near as good as. And he just does it so... It looks as though he's doing it just with complete easy. You know, it's like mm. it's flowing naturally through him. He may have put hundreds of hours in, but, but that's, have, yeah. that's a good you know, illustration of the depth that's on offer. You know, the, these... The, the, the deepest games again this is this is a, that a level of play like that is something that probably 99.9% no more than that way more than that actually thinking about it people who play a game like this will, will ever you know strive to to attain um and like you say you know, i'm not saying when i say that i think you know the core of the meat of the game is about you know playing getting better and replaying at five scores I, I i do stand by that i'm not saying there is no game here there's not there's no fun for somebody who just wants to hack and slash their way through it once on default difficulty but i think that it's kind of to do the a game a disservice i mean i kind of feel like i have because i haven't been back as much as i wanted to because i know that there's there's this depth here there's this reward the the, the sense of reward even of just getting you know, a triple S rank on a relatively high difficulty on one section is is good. But you know, the thought of doing that on every section, every boss, every level, on every difficulty, I imagine the feeling of having you know looking through that back through that set of screens, tabbing through your triple S ranks all the way through, is like you know, it's a real like hmm, you know, like a real a real good gaming feeling. And not many games, you know, kind of warrant that. They a lot of games have that in there have that ability have that option to do that but not many games actually make you want to do it yeah and I'll tell you like I don't do score attacks but um, I was playing this on the PC the same time that Paul Rooney was and it was just fun just comparing the scores between the two of us you know oh yeah absolutely yeah it's a total score attack I mean you know you could regardless of how you look at it like maybe you're playing it for for score in terms of getting triple S and you've got you know you've got this personal desire to be as uh, so good that you don't even take a hit or whatever or, or or you toy with the enemies in a way like that guy who's better than you on youtube did and just feel good but it becomes a score attack whether you want to or not because if you're playing that well you're going to get a good score and it's going to go onto your online leaderboards and that that's where you know the modern the modern era of all you know all games machines pretty much being linked to the internet it's where these games excel because when we were playing dms uh, dmc3 dante's awakening on ps2 short of going online or whatever and comparing scores it, it just didn't have that 
that factor it's kind of like it's like playing playing this is a bit like playing super meat boy or trials hd or something like that isn't it you've got this constant hmm maybe i can just go up the leaderboards a few hundred places or whatever if i play a little bit better yeah i'm, I'm not a big fan of boss fights in any game uh like you know metroid prime 2 is a great example of me getting to the end of the game and more recently mario and luigi dream team bros it's just like got to the end of the game final boss is a massive pain in the ass like i just can't be bothered to just turn it off <laughs> And then, but with Devil May Cry, like they, they put they put a boss fight in a demo, like that, that's some sort of commitment of to how well their boss fights are designed. Yeah, mm. I mean, sure it's balls, you know. Yeah, definitely, and that they balance it just right. Like it's a fine line between making it a complete cutscene and QTE fest, and actually giving you a lot of control and actually fighting the boss, you know, manually with your controller. They, they do they, they straddle a fine line in between, like, you know, you do a certain amount of damage, the bar goes away, and then you sort of latch onto a part of a body and sort of pull it open, and then a cutscene happens. Um, but the, the, they, they feel kind of easy, but I'd rather have it like that than a massive, you know, ass-kicking session and stressful and that the boss regenerates its health. Like, that's the worst thing to do in any game. I, I, I would... I would... I feel the need to mention that on higher difficulties, the bosses actually have different attacks. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you want to actually experience, if you want these bosses to challenge you, they're actually very different on higher difficulties, and you have to factor in all these. The whole different game's attacks like that, and stuff. isn't it? I mean, there, yeah, there's, yeah. there's different configurations of enemies in in different yeah, places yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, that's it, it. It's it's been built to play again. It's mm-hmm. it's it's mm. it's really great to see that like a uh, level of uh, dedication to make sure that people who are going to dedicate yeah. loads of time to it they could have just put extra health on the enemies you know or <laughs> yeah, some shit like yeah. That. yeah I mean so so few games actually do that right you know I mean the main thing is have variety the next time you're going through it you know like if you want to do a score attack you'll be playing through the same difficulty whereas if you want to like vary up the game and make it harder you've got to put in new configurations um, more health is one thing but it's just Making it interesting, you know, figuring out how you can keep the player entertained, um, and yeah. just just by making it a bit more than more health, as you're saying, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They actively encourage it as well. When you finish it, the achievement is something like the end question mark. Don't bet on it and stuff like that. So that you know, and then the game prominently displays a splash screen saying, uh, "Don't think you finished just yet. Play again for you know a, a, yeah. you know a better challenge." Stuff like that. So that they're actively going out of their way in more more ways than one to get you to play again and uh, now that I've got the PC version on tap I will be definitely dipping in and out of it to see what the harder uh, the enemy about. of that is people's time isn't it and, and other games yeah. distracting them certainly what's happened with yeah. me um, and and it's kind of a shame because I think the rewards so n- not just this game but any number of games with, with depth and, and, and satisfying gameplay deserve to be played more than than hardcore gamers perhaps have, have time for but we must talk about we, we should move on but we must talk about Bob Barbas, which mm. is a remarkable, outstanding moment in the game.
funny. Yeah. It took me completely by surprise. Uh, I was just, you know, you, you get the sort of the set piece of the tower attacking you, but it kind of reminded me of Lord of the Rings with the Eye of Sauron. It's like this big eye following you, and then it starts breaking up the world around you, and you're latching yourself towards the tower. And before you know it, you're inside the TV, and you're like, okay, he's just smashed into a TV. But then the game loads into the actual scene from or the Raptor News Network, and it's just so visually striking that, you know, it's all blue and red. Like I said before, like the prominent blues and red next to each other, it just... You know, you actually feel like you're inside the news network, like the actual the art assets that create the art, uh, the news network. It's it's stunning, and then you know you do a bit of platforming, which is quite it's quite fine because you know the, the platforming it's not great, but you know it seems to work well in that section for me. And then you come to Bob Barber's the Bob uh, the the boss fight, and he said Bob fight, and it just reminded me of um, Andros from Star Fox. Yeah, it's the just big face. giant head. Also reminds me a slightly older reference of uh, Scarface from Smash TV that that I'm fighting a giant face and even the end of Tron you know the original Tron mm. and, and the game that it was based on yeah fighting a giant face and yeah so also Nark Nark as well yeah um, there's there's multiple facets to this uh, fight isn't there so even just the act of actually smashing him in the face is great because of the animation <laughs> on, on, yeah. on his face as you knock him about that's great um, but but the, perhaps the coolest thing is I don't know it's almost like it's the whole thing is choreographed so beautifully to music and the way you mm. jump in and out of being on the TV is just so cool and the the dialogue is Absolutely. actually I think at its strongest at that point where it's just these um, when he's interviewing some of the people on the scene where he's like uh, and Dante started killing people oh, and it was great. really bad and it's just that's like I mean, it's obviously like Raptor News Network is it's Fox News. Yeah, it's it's it's, an, it's an easy and obvious satire, but it's a it's not a soft target, but it's a deserving target, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's just the the dialogue in that section is you're saying is brilliant. You know, it's just like completely weird things that they're saying. It's like oh, he definitely had pedophile eyes again. It's like what? <laughs> yeah. How would you know that? Something like demon sexual diseases and all oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. But, um, that a the way it, the way it breaks it up is it pulls you into like helicopter style combat situations where it's slightly reminiscent of older De- Devil May Cry games where the camera's fixed position and you're sort of seeing Dante from a different perspective and then you have to fight the you know the enemies on the pier where you were before and it's sort of retelling the the story of the game mm. but in completely propaganda you know manipulative way. Ah, it's yeah. Like w- when I saw that scene, I was like. That's the best thing I've seen in a game this year. It's Describing absolutely. it is not as good as playing it. Um, we can't quite do it justice. Uh, but um, I'm known for for harking back to probably you know a combination of nostalgia and, and knowledge for for games from you know way back when. But I honestly can't remember enjoying a boss fight more than than the Bob Barber's fight in DMC. Just uh, you know, for me to keep selecting that a boss level on a video game and playing it over and over again is basically unheard of in in my uh 35 plus years of playing video games um it's that good it really is we should briefly talk about the dlc i don't think we've all played it uh i know darren f has given it a good uh caning and rinsing um so there was a costume pack right i also bought that just to kind of try and uh was it amazing? Them a little bit. Uh, the new Dante actually looks quite cool, but, you know, it's super fluid kind of content. Okay. Uh, weapons bundle? Um, also good, lad. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. not quite so interesting. The, the okay. new weapon skins just look like the old ones when you're fighting. Yeah, I can't imagine how that even works. Uh, and, of course, Bloody Palace, which was a freebie. 
Um, so as if there wasn't enough to replay and replay and replay, they added the traditional uh, level after level mode. So more importantly, Virgil's downfall. Uh, the only bit of kind of story DLC. I assume that'll be it now. I, d I doubt there'll be any more. That seems um, to be the end of it. Yeah. Uh, so, what happens in that? Well, then uh, Devil May Cry, Dante, well, Virgil turns on Dante because uh, Dante doesn't want real humanity. Virgil wants to, he actually wants to take care of them. So it's, you know, he's not an evil guy at this point. But um, Dante beats him, stabs him, almost kills him. And Virgil basically escapes and then dies. He actually dies uh, on a gravestone. And this is just his, like a whole version of Virgil comes in and kind of like just the old uh, evil trick of, well, everybody else is, is shit. You are the only person that deserves to rule, and uh, I'm going to help you out here. And it's basically Virgil going through like his own nightmares, you know, like his own version of hell, and powering himself up throughout. Um, you get you get to meet uh, Dante and his mother during it. But there's not really that much story in it, you know. It's just kind of like a quick, really badly animated cutscene at the start. Um, some nicer in-game cutscenes throughout the levels. And a couple of new animated types. Like there's wisps, which uh, they're like ravens, basically. They're like this big ravens that float about and attack you. And there's also an enemy called, the, I think it's the, is it the Prisoner or the Commander? Josh, do you know the name? No, I'm not sure. I know what you're talking about, though. The big, like, one that charges you and grows hurty trees. Trees that hurt you, or something. Basically vines. Like, there's these evil demonic vines that stick on. Yeah. They, they hold around far too long, you know? Like, these things are bastards. And, yeah. um... I mean, they're, they're okay anyways, you know? Like, once you've got out how to fight them, you've kind of got to knock them up in there so that they can't leave their uh, vines stuck on the floor for you to die on. But, um... The thing is, like, Virgil as a character plays very differently from Van Dante. When you yeah. when you start the DLC, you'll probably be quite unimpressed because Virgil doesn't have any moves. He's just got, like, some very basic sword slashes. And he powers up the same way Dante does, you know? He gets souls, um, he gets experience, and you can buy, like, new moves for him. And as you progress through the storyline, he'll gain access to his angel abilities and his demon abilities, which is, like, basically heavier light attacks. Um, he doesn't actually have any other swords apart from the Yamato. I actually found that really clever, that instead of like having uh, Virgil just swap between weapons, it's, it was more like a stance change. So you still have the same weapon, but it's more about like, you know, I'm going to press this trigger so I'm going to do extra damage, or this trigger just so I'm really quick. I thought that was a clever way of... Um, uh, applying that that previously established system to Virgil, who's not a character who's going to, you know, swap between weapons. He's going to stick with his one weapon. I thought that was really well handled. It was, and I mean, it adds a lot of variety to the character. And I should probably also mention that he doesn't have firearms. He shoots, uh, like, no, psychokinetic yeah. knives that impale themselves in the flesh of his enemies. And at any point after that, you can, like, teleport to them or drag them to you through, like, little warp gates. And it's, mm. it's really interestingly handled. The way he teleports is really great. It's it's um it, it's better than uh, Dante's dodging ability because you basically become invincible during that uh, teleporting sequence, which is cool. Um, yeah, he he does control. He's much faster than uh, uh, Dante is what I found. He's just really really quick, and you can get to different enemies across the battlefield. Um, without much, uh, without too much trouble and stuff like that. Yeah, and like the DLC takes place in sort of like it's environments from the main game that have been repurposed. You know, they've been broken. It's like 
yeah. areas that uh, Virgil would recognise, but they're kind of like imbued with this kind of hellish glow. Um, everything's broken, like the enemies are trying to kill him. And I didn't mind them, but a lot of people said that they didn't like the environment design in this anywhere near as much as the main game. It's not that it's bad, it's just kind of boring, um, if that makes any sense. It's just, it's not as interesting as all those imaginative, like, un- you know, the one under the river and and Bob Barbus level. It just feels kind of basic, but it, it worked for what it the needed to The thing is, do. I think that artistically it's fine, it's just that it's a lot more reminiscent of other games than the main game is, because that had a lot of really unique ideas. So, worth getting? Um... I definitely think it is, but you've got to view it as a, a combat game as opposed to an extension of the story. Right. It does set up for a very interesting uh, number of ways that they can approach the sequel, but the cutscenes are... The animation on them... The cutscenes are awful. They're hideous. Oh, they're really badly yeah. done. What, cheap? Because, um, yeah. uh, well, it's clear, though, they, they didn't, you know, splash the cash to get the actors back into the mocap right. studio. <laughs> so they just did these, you know, like uh, Mirror's Edge had those flash animations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it looks like it's been outsourced yeah. to, like, uh, just some low tier college, you know? Uh, um, so it's, uh, it's like a seven quid type affair. Uh, I I would wait for it to go on sale, personally, because it's not going to blow your mind, but it's worth playing. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, let's hear from a couple of community members. Only a couple of posts on the forum. There were some uh, from uh, when the game came out back in January, um, but uh, nothing particularly pertinent to this conversation. So just a couple of posts from this week. We've got Jerome McIntosh who says, When I first heard Ninja Theory were going to be making DMC, I was cautiously optimistic. Though I thoroughly enjoyed the narrative in their games, the combat never felt quite right. But once I got a chance to play it, DMC at Eurogamer my doubts were cleared the combat is very tight and flows excellently and the different take on the story is great one of my favorite parts of the game were the presentation of the boss fights and the very last battle also the DLC was a great addition with a different presentation of the story and the way Virgil controls all in all DMC rates very highly for me and I look forward to where they go with the franchise if they choose to continue it uh, and Scrussel also from the forum canerince.com forum says, although I was always looking forward to DMC, I was doing so with caution initially. The series is a very Japanese one, and handing it to a Western developer was always going to be a risk. But once I finally got my hands on DMC, I was pleased how well it turned out. Although the combat feels a little looser and less precise than other games in the series, it's still very good. It's fast and hectic, with brilliant visual and sound design to accompany it. It gives a fantastic feeling of empowerment when you get the hang of it and start experimenting with mixing different weapons and exploring the wide breadth of combos. The lack of a lock-on ability is a problem for Scrussel. That makes the control input for the dash moves unwieldy and sometimes inaccurate. The platforming in the game is also pretty enjoyable. It's not exactly hard in any way, but it's fun flying through the air for silly distances, pulling platforms towards you in mid-air for you to grapple on, and such. It's a great use of the dynamic look to the level design. The level design and the overall visuals are another great thing about the game. The design of the demons is very twisted and interesting, and environments are brilliant, very colourful, and the way they move about with a total disregard for real-world physics makes them feel alive, like you're really in some kind of completely otherly realm that is malevolent towards you. Although I have to say, sometimes the texture pop-in, especially in some of the late-game cutscenes, can be pretty poor. Let me just cut off from Scrussel there. Uh, I did. I was surprised to notice, um, I don't remember this from before, I don't know if the game's been patched, but I actually noticed a little texture pop-in even playing the PC version earlier, and that's with it running from a, a solid-state hard drive. I think it's just the Unreal Engine. The Unreal Engine is absolutely notorious for that. 
Yeah, um, is it? It's probably worse on the consoles, though, I would imagine. But um, it was I not a huge deal, but you could notice them if you were keeping an eye out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scrussell continues, the music is great too. While I understand that it might not be to everyone's taste, I don't think it's really very far from the music that's always been in the series. It fits the gameplay so well too, and it adds a lot to the intense fights. There are parts of the story that rub me the wrong way. There really isn't that much in the way of character development. The antagonist characters don't have any depth to them, and there really isn't anything compelling about them outside of what they're obviously parodying, and other characters are also similarly one note. Cat doesn't seem to have any role in the narrative at all, and and comments she drops about her past are never explored. Virgil's secret motives somehow manage to be completely obvious, yet come out of nowhere at the same time when they are finally revealed, too. At the beginning of the game, Dante is utterly unlikable. He's just rude and disrespectful to everyone and thinks that curse words make him look clever. But as the game goes on, he becomes less abrasive, to the player at least. He starts being antagonistic to the people who are trying to help him and his rebellious nature is focused towards enemies, which seems a lot more appropriate. On balance, I had a great time with the game. It's a commendable example of its genre, and it shows that Ninja Theory do in fact have the ability to make something great. Even if it never was, and still isn't really the DMC I most wanted, it was still a fun game. I wouldn't hate there to be a DMC 2 at some point in the future, but I'd still rather see a DMC 5 next. Yeah, not sure about that. Um, I think I'd now rather see a D, small m, big C, Two than a DMC five, um, and I, you know, I can't imagine that I would have ever thought that in the in you know ten years ago when when the Japanese were kings of the genre. Anyone prefer to see a Devil May Cry five from well, the old Capcom studios? N- in not really, because Platinum have kind of. I feel like they're making that game with Bayonetta and Bayonetta two. Like I feel Probably. like I'm being I. I, I'm, I have like the reason why I played those games, Devil May Cry Three, was not because of the characters. No. Like I wasn't attached to Dante. No. I was attached to the gameplay, and I feel that legacy is living on in Bayonetta. So I'm just, you know, I'm happy for DMC to go off in, in this different direction and do what it's doing, mm. and I'm happy with Bayonetta to kind of do the silly spirit, stuff, yeah. you know, spiritually carry on the legacy of the original yeah, Devil totally. May Cry. Yeah. I'm 100 percent with you on that. We also have some three-word reviews. Jerome McIntosh simply says, Great series reboot. Nathan Drood says, Gameplay killed enthusiasm. David Merritt says, Swordy, shooty fun. Game Over again says, Sniper abortion scene. Ryan Astley. Uh, sounds like he's not a fan, but uh, who knows? He says, Emo dubstep action. Did anyone at any point in the game get the feeling that Dante was emo? Um, Not really. He came off more as a punk rocker yeah. more than anything. I mean, like everyone, yeah. a lot of people were saying that he looked emo like during the initial tra- uh, reveal trails, but yeah. it never came across in the game to me one bit. He's a very pretty boy, but that doesn't. And, he was a sexy man, and 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 he's obviously wearing slightly gothy clothes. But then he is a fucking demon spawn. Um, he certainly doesn't Definitely. act emo, and the game. I don't think the tone of the game is emo, and also it's. I would I would argue that I'm not an expert on the this particular subgenre of music, but I'd argue that noisier aren't a dubstep act either. Dan. No, they they span a wide array of genres. They're primarily drum and bass. Yeah. Uh, back in their like you know their their EP days, um, but now they sort of they they have done dubstep tunes, but no. their own flavour. Like, it's not traditional yeah, I mean, wub wub the, stuff. The only uh, the only music in the game that stood out to me as being obviously dubstep was the Mundus fight. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we, we, what we're saying is, Ryan, we love you. We we love your contributions, but we're disputing your three-word review on this occasion. Uh, no emo, very little dubstep. Certainly not com- uh, combi Christ. Certainly don't do dubstep. <laughs> um, play it again. <laughs> yeah. But you got the last one right, which is action. There's a lot of action. Uh, there's the definitely action. Well a lot done. of action. One well out done. of three ain't bad. Plastra Rush says, none stops swooshing. Stuart Cullen says. Smoking six style. Phil Laidler says Dante definitely delivers. James Perkins, heaven and hell. Jordan C. Hedges, black hair, okay. And last but not least, we have Pixel Omen with Arena Brawler Excellence. Fair enough. Uh, our summaries then. Would you recommend the game? Did you enjoy it? And your final feelings, Darren Gargetts. Uh Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend this game for... For almost anyone who enjoys her video games, honestly, like it is genuinely one of the best games I've played this generation. And if you take into account that genre of sort of third-person action brawlers, then it's it's up there with the best. Um, I got into this genre with God of War, and I thought that was really good. But then started playing other things like Bayonetta and and this. It kind of just like makes God of War not look. You know, it, I like God of War, and then this come along, and I was just like, well, this is like a new benchmark for this genre of game, and it's yeah replaying it again was was an absolute joy like you know i skipped through some of the cutscenes near the end uh but like seven hours just went sh- flying by and uh you know the, the platforming does get on my nerves a little bit because i think it's a little bit like you know when it's still cool when the platforms are floating around and breaking up but when dante's trying to like actually land on them sometimes you're like ah oh, it's a bit it's a bit rubbish so uh probably not the best well definitely not the best story uh, i i enjoyed enslaved you know more for the story mm. but if you take into account that you know that the the moment to moment gameplay in Devil May Cry it, it yeah it's that it, it's, it beats Bayonetta for me and Bayonetta was my favourite of that genre until this came along yeah it's um an absolute belter get it cool Josh um I really love this genre of games. I, you know, I love Devil May Cry 3. Um, I've played all the, well, apart from the most recent one, I've played all the God of War games. Um, um, and I honestly think this is one of the better examples of this genre. I still rate Bayonetta more highly, uh, simply because I feel like that game is tonally more consistent. Tonally, it's ridiculous, but it's consistent. Uh, it's consistent in its tone, uh, and and I think I agree with uh, Leon that the aesthetic, the audio, and stuff in Bayonetta is just uh, a touch more appealing to me. Um, but you know, that said, this is a really really great game mechanically um i think the combat is just superb from start to finish the boss battles uh, i can't think of one that i didn't like the mundus one was boring but it, even that wasn't you know a horrible experience it was just kind of uh, do this do that uh, but like the virgil fight at the end is superb the bob barbus fight just you know that really memorable fight um, and aesthetically, it just does all these really interesting things with Limbo. Um, the story is 
it's it does its job. Like, and I feel I found the cast of characters more likable than the cast of characters in the recent Tomb Raider. Um, you know, Virgil and Cat may not be the most complex characters out there, but they stick in my mind more than that guy from Tomb Raider and that <laughs> girl from Tomb Raider who wasn't Lara Croft. Um, yeah, and it's just much more consistently enjoyable than most of Ninja Theory's other efforts. It's just, I, I enjoyed it from start to finish. There wasn't any point, like, there are certain points in Heavenly Sword where they suddenly decide, okay, now we're going to do six-axis shooting with stuff like that, and it's just, oh, no, this is bad, and the combat system isn't that great. And Enslaved, I feel like, as soon as they introduce Piggy, the game is just less interesting. This is their strongest game to date. I really, really hope there's a sequel because I think they could do something really interesting with this with this series in the direction it's going now. Or it might be their own Devil May Cry 2. <laughs> Let's or hope that. not. Yes, uh, echoing sentiments again. Um, no great disparity in my feelings. Um... I don't love this Dante, um, but I don't hate him as much as old Dante. Um, far more importantly than anything, this is a game where you come away with your hands still playing the game and your brain still playing the game even after you've switched it off. Um, you can see the the graphics still sort of burned into your mind um, because they're so vivid and striking. Um, the story kind of takes a backseat. It's, it's okay, it's there, the characterizations you know, not as bad as many, many video games. Um, more importantly, there are some absolutely outstanding moments and scenes uh, generally based around boss battles. Um, some jaw-dropping brilliance uh, with particularly the succubus and Bob Barbus fights. Uh, moments that uh, moments to treasure and remember. Um, yeah, just the most crucial thing is that they really nailed the combat. It, it like I said earlier, it's incredibly compelling. The the grapple attacks just really make this combat system for me. Um, as I've said many times, including on the Bayonetta podcast we did, I absolutely love that game. I certainly didn't get as good at it as you can do, um, but it you know it has the depth there. Um, and uh, yeah, and beyond expectations, this this combat system came surprisingly close to. Uh, equaling it and obviously for some people it, it matches or betters it so uh, that's a pretty good thing um, and like we always say um, even if you're not sure by the time we've got around to talking about this game it's probably available pretty cheaply now I don't know it's probably been in sales and it probably is available in shops for, for less money than you would have paid so if you're uncertain it's less of a gamble as of the time um, I write them it's uh, available mm-hmm. online from Blockbuster for £7 New. Well, there you go. Bargain. Yeah, that's kind of a rental price. It's probably not much more than you paid for your rental um, back when it was, Darren. Uh, gee. Uh, so, yes, I, but I would say that um, to to treat the game as a, like you might with something that lacks in the, the depth and satisfaction, uh, more something like God of War, where you'd play it through for the spectacle and, and the fun of it, um, you won't get as much out of DMC as you might do if you actually take it on as a bit of a gameplay project and you know uh, unlock, unleash your your inner your inner Dante and learn some skills and and the real satisfaction comes when you're when you're jumping from fight to fight and and 
desperately trying to yeah not take a hit or get a triple s rank and all that sort of stuff because it, it really is a joy when when you get to that stage not that i'm there but i you know i have my moments and and even those are sweet enough let's finish with darren foreman yeah thank you very much well for me um i'm going to say first off that the story isn't quite as much as good as i expected from ninja theory you know Mm. Enslaved is one of my favourite video game stories of all time. One of my favourite uh, kind of experiences as a, as a whole, just as a visual storytelling medium. Not that they actually wrote that story, should we say? We should say Alex I mean, Garland, wasn't it? Well, no, but I mean, it's it's a, the story is 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 an ancient Chinese legend. But true, but I'll take on it in the way that it was yeah, presented. Yeah. I'm being picky, but you know yeah. what I mean. The plot. Anyway, um, well, I mean, DMC technically isn't theirs either. You know, it's kind of going on the the reboot kind of thing. But anyway, like, um, I don't think it's the best example of a story, you know? I think that possibly it's um, they kind of negotiated it to a middle ground, whereas before they could possibly have had a darker uh, um, initial reboot idea. And I think that Capcom probably kind of veered them away from that path. Possibly for the best, but, you know, that's all uh, just personal interpretation. I think it could have been done with a few more crazy moments in the, in the cutscenes, you know, just like the the Ferris wheel and the trailer at the start. But all that aside, the actual gameplay is magnificent. It really is incredibly tight. It just feels so precise. You've got access to everything you need at any point to enjoy it. The only minor thing that I would have is the ability to evade even during heavy attacks. Maybe make enemies attack just a little bit faster, a little bit harder, and allow you to break out of like those fixed attacks such as the Abdel's overhead smash. And as far as how it compares to other fighting games, other uh, action, combat action games, I'm going to probably say that this is my favourite action game of this generation of consoles. And that is high praise, because that also knocks Ninja Gaiden 2 off the top spot mm. for me. Ninja Gaiden 2, arguably, and in my opinion, has a better combat engine, but it's not as polished, it's not as good to look at, the story is tripe, and um, it's just everything that DMC gets right. It gets right so perfectly. The boss battles, the visual design, the music, like, uh, I mean, if you sit to me, um, Combi Christ started recording the, the music. I hadn't heard of them. And Combi Christ sounds like some kind of satanic roaring cult, and I was pleasantly surprised. As does the music. Um, the thing is, there's like a lot of really good melodic tune in there as well. You'll hear someone screaming over a part to it. But it just, it sounds really good, you know? It's yeah, it does. It works. It's not it as deep works. as I expected. Hmm. And just every aspect of the presentation and the gameplay has been shined to just this mirror sheen. It's... I'm not gonna, I mean, I had high hopes of this. And Ninja Theory didn't just leap the barrier. They kicked it in and made it bigger and then they jumped over that one as well and said, Fuck you, Darren. You... I know your doubts were just shit. And you're a, a horrible person. Just one final question for everyone. Like, uh, it, you may not even know. I know that I've played this for about 15 and a half hours, which is considerably more than it takes to actually play through um, just once on normal completion. I was wondering, uh, finishing with Darren F across two versions, <laughs> um, do you know roughly what game time you've put in? Uh, Steam has shown, I believe it's 47 hours, and I completed everything in the 360 versions. So it's usually over 100 hours. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? Yeah, it's pretty good, you know, it was uh, definitely worth that time, and there are other people that'll have not just doubled that, they'll probably have oh, ten times that kind of time. Absolutely, yeah. What about you fellas, Darren and Josh? 
Um, Steam is telling me I've put 22 hours into DMC, so not bad. Yeah, I I I think I played more of it than I thought I did. Yeah, mm. yeah two playthroughs for me, seven on this PC, no, about eight on this PC one, and then probably about ten on the 361. Yeah. So, so yeah. not a bad investment for seven quid or whatever it costs now. Probably, um, that's four out of four recommendations. Pretty good for DMC. Yeah. And something to be noted, um, some a lot of podcasters might not get this, so you might want to cut this out, but Leon, myself, and Brad Galloway never agree on games, and we all give this 9 out of 10. You're not on reviews. So for the three of us to agree on something to that degree, that's probably unheard of. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Yeah, yeah good point. Um, let us conclude uh, with a roundup. We now have merchandise. Hopefully you're still listening. Uh, uk. you can buy uh, branded t-shirts and hoodie tops uh, men, women and children uh, and iPad cases as well it would be amazing um, if people would be able to uh, see their way clear to buy some of these and wear them at say Eurogamer in a couple of months time that would be pretty awesome We'd basically love to see. we want you to pay to advertise for us yeah that's 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 what merchandise is, isn't it? <laughs> um, as we've said before, um, we genuinely only make uh, under two pounds on each item sold, um, so there's no great uh, profiteering going on here. And any money that we do make will be ploughed back into Cane and Rinse uh, things, um, site hosting, things like that, um, other projects. Uh, we're not we're not off to Rio or anything like that. As you can imagine, Cane and Rinse takes a fair amount of time and effort to put together so um, any every little helps and all that um, and besides Jay's logo is very cool and the t-shirts look great more designs coming soon hopefully you can play along with what is left of Kane Rinse volume 2 coming up we have Deadly Premonition aka Red Seeds Profile that's next issue following that we have the Star Fox Saga um, we'll even be talking about we'll be mainly focusing on the SNES and uh, N64 slash 3DS games but we're also going to talk a little bit about the SNES sequel that never came out and the DS game and the GameCube uh, games that nobody played but we'll talk about them regardless uh, then it's Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory should coincide with the release of the new game Fahrenheit uh, or Indigo Prophecy if you're American Super Meat Boy L.A. Noir, Psychonauts and finishing issue 100 Heavy Rain uh, please support us by subscribing, reviewing, rating us on iTunes. Uh, some nice new reviews, both on the US and UK stores that I've read recently. Thank you very much for those. They're all appreciated. Best of all, join the community at canerince.com. Uh, chat with us on the forum. But if you can't be asked to, that, to do that, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, everything's linked to canerince.com just remains for me Leon Cox to thank Darren's foreman and Gargett and Joshua Garrity and hmm we may leave you with some we'll probably leave you with some noisier won't we yes thinking about it um, rather than hurt your ears with some combi Christ I hope you'll (laughs) find some space for some combi Christ at some stage of course I'll mix it up (laughs) goodbye everybody Um, take care guys